Again, that was an emotional hedge. I obviously hope that he falls off a cliff. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is September 7th, 2021, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining us from New York is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. It's good to be back. You know, back in the uh, the Empire State. Oh yeah, that's it's the place to be. Obviously, <laughs> Jeff probably disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, do you agree? Is New York the place to be? I know. I mean, <laughs> New York's too big of a state. You can't just make state generalizations like that. I just went to a wedding in the Finger Lakes, and the Finger Lakes felt nothing like New York City at all. This, like, I felt well, they're like not I was on a, anything. I, I like felt, New but York City. I just, I felt like I was in a completely different state. Or Where in the Finger Lakes, Ithaca? Where in the Finger Lakes? Should we just spend the rest of the podcast going over the Finger Lakes? Hey, I mean, New York could. geography Ithaca is fun is for amazing. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about actually we pivot and talk about sports? Is that is that uh, right. that's maybe if, a thing? Uh, if we have to. Um, you guys, uh, the first real weekend of college football is in the books, and I, th- I feel like we learned a few important lessons. Uh, did you know that Alabama is good? Did you guys yeah, know? Yeah, I do now. Yes, they are good. All right. I think we also learned that Miami is not good. <laughs> or as good as they think they are. As, well, as much as we do this every year, that was never in doubt. <laughs> I feel also like we learned that we should not have like some marquee matchup with Alabama the first week because it's never actually going to be a good game. We think it's going to be. They should just play a a, a patsy like they're supposed but, to. But um, I did like one thing they did this year, which was new, which I actually really enjoyed, was having these kind of having these these conference games in the first week. I, I like it. What? So just have like Alabama play LSU the first week or something like that. That would I, be See, I, I don't like it. Even, I want... Even though I LSU like a little bit... Of, well, right. I was kicked by UCLA. But, you know, the point yeah. still stands. I like it. I like giving teams a little bit of time to figure out who they are before they start conference games. I don't I don't like the conference stuff in the way. That's not how it's supposed to be. Stop it. So stop changing yeah. things, college football. I, I always like the idea of the first week of the season or week zero through one or whatever you want to call it as being sort of like a tune-up. But also I really like the marquee matchups, but then sometimes the marquee matchups like Georgia Clemson aren't as marquee as we think they are. Uh, and maybe we learned something about Clemson from that, but also it wasn't a particularly you know well executed offensive game so yeah I, I, I'm sort of torn about uh, how how they should handle the the pre-conference stage of the season I did really I liked that game but I like defense so I I know there was a lot of complaints about you know low scoring games are no fun for some people I found it really fun and exciting I like I kind of like that tension um, of a low scoring game as long as my team is not involved like I like watching other teams play really strong defensive games my team I would prefer they just score a lot of points which they refuse to do so on today's show we are of course going to talk about the start of the NFL season we're also going to take some time to do our customary team draft to immediately start the race for bragging rights among the hot takedown hosts and finally we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week The NFL is set to kick off on Thursday with the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing the Dallas Cowboys. 
That means we are, right now, at the peak of prediction season. We're going to get into how 538's model has each division playing out, but we wanted to start with the quarterbacks, particularly how this year's rookie class looks. For the latest in QB speculation, we turn, as ever, to Tony Romo. Here's Romo's opinion of Jets rookie Zach Wilson, care of ESPN's first take host, Molly Karam. Zach Wilson is going to be in the discussion as one of the top three to five quarterbacks in the league very quickly. Within the next couple of years, I think you're going to see him rise. I think he's unbelievable. His ceiling is so high. It's rare for me to say that someone has the ability to get in the stratosphere of Patrick Mahomes. But I think this kid actually has that ability. So that's good news for the Jets, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> we did think? it. We did it. We, we won. Guys, we won. We did it. <laughs> What is Romo seeing in Zach Wilson? What? I mean, he he looks good. He looks good. I mean, he he looks. I mean, he looks like he's going to summer camp, um, at, and he's still in eighth grade. But if you get away from that, um, are you still going to summer camp in eighth grade? I guess you are. Um, or are you a counselor by then? Either way, he looks like uh, he doesn't look like an NFL player. But he does on the field when he's got his helmet on look like very much like an NFL player in that, you know, he, he's making good decisions. He's throwing into tight windows. He's throwing downfield. He's throwing out of the pocket. But, you know, I don't like to do this with preseason. I like to remember... Um, what we all thought of Daniel Jones's preseason. If you just go back a little bit where he had, I think I pulled it up. He was something like, there it is, 29 of 34 for 416 yards and two touchdowns. And everyone, that was, of course, across all the preseason, everyone was going crazy saying we were wrong about this guy. Maybe the Giants knew something we didn't uh, when they drafted him uh, unbelievably <laughs> high. And now look at Daniel Jones. So like that's just like what we can't we can't make these judgments until as much as I I respect the opinion of Romo I I'm going to wait before I cast any judgment. I've also just been down this road with Sam Darnold. So I'm I'm going to temper all, you know, unrealistic expectation. I will say though that we are in sort of an era where you do expect more out of rookie quarterbacks right away than uh, than you used to, and sort of de- they deliver on those ex- expectations uh, more often. Like Justin Herbert, I think about him last year. He came in and threw thirty touchdowns, uh, thirty plus touchdowns as a rookie, uh, and and just looked like he belonged from the very beginning. Joe Burrow was looking that way before he got hurt. So you know maybe if if there is sort of an argument um, that we should be less. Uh, quick to tap the brakes on rookie speculation. Uh, It's that, you know, we are in an era where these guys are getting chances early and, and some of them are proving that they can play for sure. Oh no, I totally believe this is possible. It's just a matter of judging this based on what we've seen them playing against second string defenders in preseason across a, you know, short sample size. Um, I do think once the starters get in there and once the games really matter, like the game speeds up a lot and, and you know, our perception of what we, we thought, who who we thought was going to be the best rookie could completely change. And by the way, Herbert was only playing because Tyrod Taylor got his lung punctured by someone on his own training staff. And like, if that hasn't <laughs> happened, um, if that doesn't happen, who, who knows when, when we see Herbert last year? 
So, you know, football's... <laughs> I'm not saying that's going to happen to any of these uh, rookies, but, you know, it, it's hard to predict, you know, at least at this point in the year. That is interesting about, about you know, the expectations for Herbert were not that high. I mean, they, they were... It's not like they weren't nothing, but no one was thinking he was going to come out and be the best quarterback of of the year. We weren't... We didn't really have... We didn't really know what to expect from him. Now, the expectations are way different for for Wilson and, and the Jets. I'm, you know, our our model, the way our model approaches rookie quarterbacks, I like much better than the way the pundit class approaches uh, rookie quarterbacks. Our model stays within itself and realizes that we don't yet have enough information about these guys. But Neil, which quarterbacks does our model like this season? Who else is in the Patrick Mahomes stratosphere? So it's Patrick Mahomes, Zach Wilson. Who's the third best quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Zach Wilson uh, is in that stratosphere. Don't don't you mean the Zach Wilson stratosphere? Oh, sorry. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. It, we could call it the Mahomes Wilson sphere stratosphere. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Just to be just to be fair. Uh, no. So Mahomes, perhaps controversially, is rated as only our third ranked quarterback uh, in the rankings. So Aaron Rodgers is number one. By a pretty sizable margin, in fact. And then Josh Allen is a little bit ahead of Mahomes. And then we have Dak Prescott uh, below him, even though there's not really an injury adjustment, uh, coming back from injury type of adjustment. But he was amazing statistically before he got hurt last year. Uh, And then uh, we won't say anything about Deshaun Watson. He's very unlikely to play uh, all season, but he he would be uh, next in line. And then Ben Roethlisberger, Kyler Murray, Tom Brady, Ryan Tannehill, Lamar Jackson. Uh, and Kirk Cousins, Sarah. No. So no. that's yep, that's your pecking order of quarterbacks. We, we stopped uh, ahead of him in the top tier. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, he's not top tier. You wouldn't put that in uh, in top tier. I would not. So who? Is, <laughs> wait, wait, hold on one second. Let's let's parse this down. Who is Cousins ahead of? Is he ahead of Herbert? He's ahead of Herbert, yeah, and and Ryan Fitzpatrick and Russell Wilson, which is another sort of uh, controversial ranking we we would say. Well, that's strange, uh, but yeah. Wilson really tailed off toward the end of last season, yeah. uh, and there's still like there's so much going on with with that offense and sort of the promise of well, this will be the year that Russell Wilson, you know, kind of takes that uh, that statistical step as being like the number one quarterback in in the league. Clearly has the talent to do that, but uh, Pete Carroll has always sort of kept the reins on that passing offense more than arguably he should have. And so we'll see. They got a new offensive coordinator, so it's it's an opportunity for them to move up. Uh, let I Russ think, Cook. for Wilson to move up. Yeah. Where, where let was, Russ Cook. <laughs> where was Brady on that list? He was sandwiched in between Kyler Murray and Ryan Tannehill. Brady is fascinating also because this, you know, this system, it's not really a, a projection. Uh, it, it tries to, like, it makes adjustments for how many years a, a quarterback has been in the league and kind of regresses you based on that. But with somebody like Brady, and we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, Jeff, it's just sort of like he could either be great again he could have like a Peyton Manning style complete collapse and it could by this end of the season we could be talking about what happened to Tom Brady like he is entering a territory at an age where no quarterback has ever started six game more than six games in a season at this age like ever period full stop um, and, and he's going to try to not just start 17 games but also win a Super Bowl again 
I don't know. I, 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 we're, we're out of the, um, the, the sample. The, we, we've gone into true out-of-sample testing with Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, he's breaking, breaking all models. He just continues to do it, and it's, it's very annoying. Um, I actually like the way our, our uh, model, our quarterbacks, um, our quarterbacks page, which kind of charts out where all of these quarterbacks are at the moment in each division. And the AFC East is hilarious to me because like, again, we don't really, the model doesn't know anything about Zach Wilson. So it starts him based on where he was drafted. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really say he's, it's not trying to project him forward. It's giving where we where he, a starting point for him. Um, so there are two quarterbacks ahead of everyone else and they both play for the bills like josh allen is you know great and then bills backup mitch trubisky is actually has a better rating than anyone else in that division which i find very funny we all know that so that's a glitch in the model we're gonna have to go carve in something specifically for trubisky people named trubisky The the Trubisky adjustment yeah, uh, yeah. bureau but, but, you has know, struck again. Josh, yeah. that, that's a crazy thing about the the AFC. Josh Allen's the oldest quarterback in in the division at twenty five. So yeah. yeah, it's just a couple rookies plus Tua uh, in his second year. So you know, it's kind of it makes sense that Allen would be the highest rated by far, and even Trubisky has more experience. To your point, Jeff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Unless unless Brian Hoyer somehow overtakes Mac Jones in New England, then we'll. Have <laughs> well, him. is Hoyer? I mean, he actually has a higher uh, rating just based on you know his track record right. uh, over the decades, uh, you know whatever it is, uh, and then compare that with Mac Jones, which, like you said, Sarah, it's just based purely on draft position. Historically speaking. If the model is tuned right, we would expect a journeyman, veteran, sometimes starter like Brian Hoyer to produce better than a, uh, a rookie drafted where Mac Jones was drafted. But I have a feeling that he will um, maybe play better than that. But we'll, I mean, we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see starting starting very soon. Well, all right. So so obviously, if we're talking about our quarterback predictions, our actual team predictions are also live on the site right now. Neil, you've also written a preview of what we're watching for this season. Who does our model see as the top team contenders this year? Well, yeah, it's it's pretty crowded uh, at the top. And even when we're talking about the number one slot, the Bucks and Chiefs are kind of co-favorites, which is a little boring. They're the Super Bowl teams <laughs> last year. But we give the Bucks a 13% chance, Chiefs a 12% chance. So it's, it's different than in past years where there was sort of like a clear-cut uh, favorite and their odds would be a little bit higher than than 13 or 12 percent. Uh, and then after them, we've got the Bills and uh, the Packers, the Ravens, the Rams. Those teams are all above 5 percent. Then the Browns uh, and Seahawks and Titans at 4 percent. And then the Niners, the Chargers, the Saints and the Cowboys at 3 percent. And I, there are all kinds of really interesting teams in there like the Browns. You know, I feel like they're getting a lot of momentum. uh, And on paper, we've been talking about them for a while. At the same time, they're also a team that I believe got outscored uh, during the regular season last year. They they had to win a playoff game just to break even on um, point differential briefly. So 
you know, teams like that uh, that outperform their uh, underlying point differential tend to take a step back the following year, but then the Browns have so much talent that maybe they'll be immune to that. Uh, and I think the Chargers might be the opposite of that because they threw away a ton of winnable games, especially <laughs> early in the season last year. Speaking of Justin Herbert, it wasn't really his fault, uh, but but that team just found ways to lose. I guess you put the Falcons in that category, but they're a little bit lower on the, on the ranking. Um, but that's a team that if they do even that out they might have the potential to be better than expected and the Ravens are you know another one that if they play more like their underlying stats did last year because they were the second best team by expected points added uh, throughout the whole season including playoffs that if they play a little bit more like that and maybe Lamar Jackson regresses back toward that MVP form from 2019 because their passing offense took a step back last year but he has a lot of uh, help around him this year that that could be a team that maybe we're undervaluing for the Super Bowl. They they could be really scary. The contenders are fascinating to me. The like the Cowboys, I mean I guess the Cowboys they're not really among the top contenders, but they're a team I don't really know what to do with. I'm not really sure what to make of the Titans. There's just so many like interesting things happening this season and we'll I think we'll learn a lot the first weekend. There's a lot of really interesting games. Well, I mean, Cowboys Bucks should be pretty good right out of the gate. And uh, there's just so many, like you said, Sarah, the Steelers and the Bills, uh, Browns and Chiefs. That's a playoff rematch. So uh, I'm probably looking, though, at Packers and Saints Mm. just because I feel like we're going to learn a lot about the Saints, the, the post-Breeze, Jameis Winston Saints um, from that particular game against that particular opponent. And they're another one of the biggest wild cards, I think, out there because we don't know. Like, this is a team that was really good in non-passing aspects of the game. So you could make the case that they wouldn't really suffer as much as you would expect by losing a Hall of Fame first ballot quarterback like Drew Brees. And maybe even Jameis Winston gives them more of a downfield passing threat because this team famously didn't throw with Drew Brees. He really didn't throw that much uh, past the sticks that often. Um, But then again, you're replacing Drew Brees with Jameis Winston. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I I think that game is going to be really interesting too. I wish that it were not having to be moved to Jacksonville. I wish it were actually at in New Orleans. I think we'd know a little bit more about the Saints if they could play at home. But, you know, obviously the the hurricane made that impossible. But, um, yeah, that game should be fascinating. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, no, I, that one obviously is near the top of the list. I mean, the Jets obviously playing Sam Darnold is hilarious um, for a first game right <laughs> out of the bat. Um, but... I'd be interested in that regardless. I think um, one that interests me is the Chargers playing football team. I'm I'm very intrigued in both those teams. I think, you know, most people circle both those teams as, like, teams that are ascending um, pretty quickly. Um, Washington, obviously, with their defense and second year of Antonio Gibson, who um, is, is, you know, sort of pegged to be the – Christian McCaffrey uh, part in the in the Ron Rivera system there, which is be interesting to see how they do, you know, with with Fitzpatrick because that team, you know, was 
fairly successful, if we can say that, with almost you know nothing from the quarterback position last year, and to have a competent quarterback, which I think we know Fitzpatrick is at this point, uh, to see how much that helps um, on top of that defense is fascinating. And then you know uh, the Chargers, I think, are just interesting because I think on the eye test, you know Herbert looked great. The team often didn't have great results because you know i think you know anthony lynn and that coaching staff wasn't doing them any favors it was a lot of like you know a lot of dubious losses on bad clock management bad decisions down the stretch um they easily could have had a much better record if you just watch them on the field um and and they had some injuries too and you know especially on defense with bosa and and james and and getting um uh, getting Eckler back on offense, you know, they're, they're getting healthier and they have a new coaching staff. So I think, you know, a lot of people are looking at the Chargers as a sort of team ascending. Yeah. I am looking forward to the Sunday night game between the Bears and Rams. This is These are both teams with new quarterbacks, although I'm not sure we know yet what we're going to see out of the Bears, if Andy Dalton's going to start or if they're going to let Justin Fields play or what's going to happen there. I'm really excited to see Matthew Stafford on the Rams. Like both of those teams are very, uh, are very interesting, and I like that for a first week matchup too. I feel like so we're not starting our survivor pool in in week one, and we're gonna wait and start that in week two. And I feel like I'm ha- kind of happy about that because there are a lot of games where I'd be like, I don't know who to pick in this game. I just don't know enough about these teams yet. Um, so I-, I think we'll learn a lot right away about what we can expect this season, which is exciting. I mean, Survivor Pool, more than anything, is about figuring out who the really awful teams are. Right. And then hammering those teams week after week. No, and I think we know. I mean, I think we know. I mean, I think everyone sort of thinks the Lions. Everyone sort of rightly thinks the Texans with everything that's going on there. But, you know, frankly, I think the Jags are going to be pretty bad. I don't think they're going to be that much better. I'm, I'm dubious about urban meyer in the nfl Mm. i think we've we've sort of i'm old enough to know a few other examples of a sort of splashy college coach coming into the nfl and it's just not working at all um you know granted uh there's a few exceptions but generally that that seems to be the case i mean yeah i remember when saban i remember when saban was in the nfl Right. Nick Saban even couldn't turn around the Dolphins, but it did give me hope that uh, for Urban Meyer that he did have the good sense to cut Tim Tebow. <laughs> right. But the, the very fact that Tebow was even there means I know. like, is this right. a serious team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... A- Which you could say about the Mets the past few years also. Well, they're definitely not a serious baseball team. <laughs> and they're not. We knew. Yeah. We, we found out they weren't. <laughs> um, good points. Good points all. Um, all right. I think this is a good spot to take a break. Um, We can come back in a second with our NFL draft choices. All right, we are back, and we do not have a second take to dissect. We have business to attend to, specifically our 2021 NFL Hot Takedown Team Draft. We each will be able to take six teams we think will do well across the regular season. We'll keep track of the total wins of our picks throughout the year as a way to track how expectations for teams change and, very crucially, make fun of each other. Our producer has randomly selected a draft order, and we will snake back around so the person with the last pick in round one gets the first pick in round two, so on and so on. The draft order for round one is Jeff, Sarah, Neil. So without any ado whatsoever, take us away, Jeff. 
Okay, I won't waste our time. I'm taking the I'm taking the Chiefs. I didn't even give this much thought. I think this is a no-brainer. They're consistent. <laughs> they're good. They're probably uh, they have Patrick Mahomes, who's almost as good as Zach Wilson. They got <laughs> their weakness was offensive line, as we saw in the Super Bowl, and they they really did you know do a lot of work to address that issue. And I I think they should be even better, which is hard to say of a team that only lost twice in the regular season um so chiefs that's solid 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 pick solid pick Ooh, i'm gonna already make a make a, a controversial pick and i'm not going to choose the bucks i'm gonna take the, the bills i'm gonna take the bills whoa i you know someday brady is going to he's going to act his age at some point i don't know if it's this year or not it could be it might be i'm gonna take the, i'm gonna take the bills neil who you got all right <laughs> well with my sandwich of picks then I'm going to take the Bucks, our favorite in the model. And then I'm, I'm going to take the Ravens. You aren't worried about um, some of the Ravens' skill position injuries? I mean, that would be the only thing that would give me pause. Dobbins injured, Bateman the yeah, that's, injured. Yeah, that's that's a little scary. But, but I don't know. They do seem like a machine that like you can just plug in anyone and they'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, and I'm just counting on Lamar. To, I mean, he wasn't bad last season, but to, to be a little bit more like he was two years ago. Yeah. And to win in the playoffs. I mean, come on. That needs, that's the big thing for them. Right. It has to happen. Oh, man. That changes my whole calculus. Um, yeah, Sarah, you're going to have to take the I Packers. Know, I am. I thought I could get away <laughs> from it. All right. I am going to reluctantly take the Packers. Oh, Sarah. I know. I don't love it. But again, this is sort of hedging my, hedging my emotional bets. <laughs> because even if they win, um, you know, if, I'll be crushed personally, but you know they'll uh, they'll I'll get the I'll get the points in this very high stakes draft. Jeff, who you got? Okay, um, I would have taken the Packers, so good mm-hmm. pick. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna take. You know it's tricky because I'm looking at both NFC West. Te- I'm looking at two NFC West teams here because I. I but that division's so tough, and they all kind of cannibalize each other. So I'm, I, I can't take both. So I'm gonna take the Los Angeles Rams. I believe in Sean McVay. I believe in Matthew Stafford. I'm excited to see Matthew Stafford in a non yeah. b- Lions uniform. Lions <laughs> situation. <laughs> <laughs> just like noon on Thanksgiving, just like trying to come back in a game down two touchdowns. It's just a permanent Stanford, a Stafford image. I mean, we'll still see that from the Lions, but, but just not. Right, him. right, no. but it won't be him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then give me, I'll, I'll go with the trendy pick. I'll take the Cleveland Browns. I believe in them. Um, I think they, again, tough division, especially like tough defenses, but I think their defense might be the best of that group. And um, I don't really think they even need Baker, to, who I don't really believe in. I'm curious where he was on our QB rankings, Neil. But um, I don't think it matters at this point because I, I think they have a great system there and a great defense. So give me the Browns. Yeah. He he was seventeenth behind Matt Ryan and Derek Carr. Oof. Wow, interesting. That sounds about right, though. <laughs> All right, let's see. With my pick in uh, round three, hmm, I was hoping I I could steal the Browns there. I I'm gonna go with the Niners. I yeah. I I like them. I think. Uh, I, th- I think they're going to be better this year. I mean, they have to. They can't have the kind of injury luck they had last year. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Niners there. No, I, I was looking at them. I was seriously looking at them. If they weren't in the same division as the, as the Rams, I would have taken them. But the 
I think Trey Lance is going to be great, and I think yeah. he'll be in pretty soon. Him and that Kyle Shanahan offense could be really scary. I love the Even messiness. I love the messiness of all of the the rookie quarterbacks. I just love the drama that's happening like around the league this year with the rookie quarterbacks. So well, fun. except for Zach Wilson, where it was just it was predestined that he would and always Jones, start. Apparently, because because he's <laughs> yes, Patrick Zach Mahomes. Wilson. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Neil, who you got? Okay, so yeah, that Niners pick was a good one. I like that. Um, I am going to take, you know, I'm not going to overcomplicate things. I'm going to take the Titans here just because, look, that's a solid Somebody pick. has to win you, that you, division. You, it may as well be Tennessee. You can't go wrong. They get, they get such a soft, such a soft it's schedule. It's such in a the soft division. schedule. Yeah. And, and all the teams in that division also get the added bonus of playing the uh, carved out husk of the Texans. <laughs> so that's that's good for the Titans. Um, and I'm going to take a shot at the Seahawks. We've gone really heavy on the NFC West, but I feel like that's a team that really, if Shane Waldron can do something with the passing offense and and harness Russell Wilson to the to the peak of his abilities and, and let him let him cook, as they say, I'm excited to see what what that team can do. Yeah, I like that. I, th- I think that's a good pick. All right, back to me. I I'm gonna take the Chargers. Why not? I, you know they've again they they should uh, their regression should be up. So um, they got to win some of those games. So I'll I'll take the Chargers. All right, I like the Chargers. I said it earlier. I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take a little team by the name of the New England Patriots. Ooh, Ooh. there's a reach. I don't <laughs> think it's a reach. I think. For- for starters, I like their decision at quarterback. I like that it's not a lingering debate like it is maybe in San Francisco or Chicago. I believe in Belichick. And, uh, you know, I think... What a bold <laughs> claim. <laughs> Look, you know, it took a while. I need to see a little more, you know. I need, to, <laughs> I need to really cement my opinion. But after years of studying football, I've decided he's a good coach. And I think, you know, that... That, that team, that, the funny thing about the Patriots is we talk about it, you know, in, in, in my mind, they were like, had this really down year, but they really weren't that bad of a team. They were kind of a tough out. Maybe I'm just saying that as a Jet fan, but with a, with a quarterback who's more competent and more similar to Brady, the old system, I think it could work. Um, I know there's some questions around that, but I think their defense obviously gets some players back and the defense will be really good in my mind. So give me the um, Patriots. And now, then I'm going to take the team that I predicted to win the Super Bowl last year, and they were awful, was the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going for the brand names here, but I, I, I'm fully drunk the Hard Knocks Kool-Aid on, <laughs> on the oh, Cowboys no. and Jack Prescott <laughs> That's and C.D. Lamb. I instituted a rule for my personal fantasy football drafting that I would not allow myself to watch Hard Knocks before I drafted. Oh. I, I would always overvalue. You just, the, like, each week you're like, CD Lamb's awesome. Then the next week you're like, Ezekiel Elliott is going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have kind of a tough choice between two teams I'm intrigued by. I am going to... She's thinking about the Vikings. No. <laughs> We know that for sure. I'm definitely not thinking about the Vikings. Um, I'm going to take football team. I'm going to take football team. I I am also intrigued by them like you were, Jeff. And I yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to take Washington. That's a good pick. I like Thank it. You. I like it, especially yeah. again. 
NFC East. There's a lot of wins wins to be yeah. had there, especially if imagine if if if, if Prescott's not playing, um, if he's hurt again. Yeah. There's a lot of wins. Okay. All right, Neil, who you got for your two picks here? Oh man, yeah, we're getting into tough choice territory, and these are the last two picks yeah. um, for me uh, going into the end of the penultimate round and and the start of the final round. So I am gonna. Well, first of all, I am gonna take the Vikings. Oh, that's just like terrible pick. I have to. Yikes. I have to take them. Ugh, gross. To. Um, <laughs> Just to troll you, Sarah. Well, thank you for that. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> also, I think you know. I I don't think they're they are not as bad uh, as you have painted them to be. Sure. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> so I'm going to take them, and then, gosh, it is uh, it's a little bit of a tough call here, but I'm going to go with the Saints. Uh, you know, the the post breeze Saints because of what I mentioned earlier that you know at least for this year. I know they've been playing a dangerous salary cap game uh, for a while now, but um, I still feel like they have enough around Jameis Winston uh, to to make them at least competitive. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll regret it. I mean, for the for your last pick for for round six, that seems that seems right. There were still plenty of decent teams on the board, which you guys are going to take. I mean, sure, maybe. <laughs> Can you yeah, let me know um, who those decent teams are? Because I, I don't yeah. like I don't like any of these left. <laughs> well, there's one that's facing a really tough schedule, but aside from that, might be decent. Interesting. See if you could fi- uh, p- figure out who that is. <laughs> uh, I am going to take the Dolphins. I I like Miami. I like Tua. I like Brian Flores. I'm going to take the Dolphins. All right. Okay. Who you got, Deb? Okay. This is it. I get one and we're done? Yes. One and done. Oh, boy. All right. I mean, I guess I don't like taking two in the same division, but I I, th- I think maybe that's unavoidable at this point. So I'll take the Pittsburgh Steelers. Interesting. I, Interesting. I don't feel great about this, but last pick in the draft, I mean, they did win that division. Najee Harris... The Alabama rookie could be, you know, rookie running back could be really good. The receivers are still there. Ben Roethlisberger. Remember how long they were undefeated last year? That was yeah, funny. but they were such frauds. Remember how I would come They're on every frauds. week and just say they were frauds? Um, yes. But, but these the reports are that, that Ben looks better. So I've heard that. Maybe they'll I've be, heard that. Yeah. But look who he's throwing. I mean, between Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju, he's... It can't be that hard for him. And if he's got a running game, that offense yeah. could just kind of go on autopilot. Now, who do we think are the best teams that got uh, left off the board or are still on the board left out of our draft picks? Because um, I think we've snubbed the Broncos, the Cardinals, and the Falcons. But I don't have no faith in the Colts. Yeah, I, the Cardinals were going to be my – if like if, uh, if the rest of the teams that I liked were off the board – I was going to reach for the Cardinals with my last pick. I mean, that's that division is murder, obviously, but they're they're a fun, interesting team, and I, I like them to do better to be to beat expectations. For starters, I think they have a hundred percent vaccination rate, so you know whatever that means. But they might not be one to to worry about in that department. But but I do think you know talking about Arthur Smith that maybe just whatever was going on and maybe he's that good and whatever magic was happening in Tennessee now just shifts to. Matt Ryan and that offense, you know, with Kyle Pitts coming in, granted Julio's gone, but um, it, it wouldn't surprise me because I think that division 
is kind of there for the taking, especially if New Orleans is is not the team we're expecting. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't count out Sean Payton, but it could be a kind of wide open division. If we were drafting players, like individual random players, I would have drafted Kyle Pitts. I love him. I think it's going to be, I think he's going to be really fun to watch. I think he's going to be a star. Um, which is very exciting. Yeah, that team had the point differential of almost a 500 team last year, despite going four and 12, because they found a way to botch all those um, <laughs> close games and games they were leading and all those things. Which I guess the the narrative around the Falcons is built around that yeah. because of the Super That's Bowl. That's on brand. This doesn't apply to Brady, who has no cliff, but where the cliff seasons are for certain quarterbacks, and it would not surprise me if this is the the Matt Ryan's year. Matt Ryan's year that he kind of just really falls off because, um, A, it would make sense beyond Brady that at his age that's when it would happen. But I think it could also happen at Roethlisberger too. I mean, I think there's a couple quarterbacks who are getting up there that um, it could be a last hurrah like Rivers and, and Breeze were last year. Yeah, if Roethlisberger's wasn't last year, frankly. I mean, that'll be what's interesting to see about him this year. Well, and far be it for me to um, question your Packers, Sarah. But <laughs> My Packers. Aaron Rodgers is getting Aaron Rodgers is getting up there in age, too, so I don't know. Again, that was an emotional hedge. I obviously hope that he falls off a cliff. <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see which of our draft teams take us to glory, which let us down. I have some ideas already about my own, but I think we can leave this here for now. Let's take a break, and we'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of those descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. This week, I'm taking the rabbit hole. So we are in the midst of a very exciting WNBA season. The playoffs start in just over two weeks, and six teams have clinched postseason spots, with the last two still up for grabs. The Connecticut Sun, led by MVP candidate Jonquil Jones, sit atop the standings with a game-and-a-half lead over reigning MVP Asia Wilson and the Las Vegas Aces. The surging Minnesota Lynx and faltering Seattle Storm are three games back, and the Phoenix Mercury and Chicago Sky have also locked up berths. The other really exciting thing about this season, as, as we've mentioned before, is that it's the league's 25th. That's such a great milestone when it comes to the sustainability of this sport and I think of women's sports in general. I mean, sustainability can mean a lot of things, of course, and, and you know, there are a couple of different proxies. You know, TV ratings could be one. In that case, in the WNBA, viewership is up over both last year's bubble season and the more normal 2019. And the game right out of the Olympic break brought in the largest regular season viewership for the WNBA since 2012. That game, by the way, was between Seattle and Chicago, so not a huge rivalry, but it was shown on ABC on a Sunday afternoon. Turns out that when you make it easier to watch the games, more people watch. Who knew? But it's important to celebrate the women who built this league up throughout its history. To that end, the league on Sunday put out a list of the top 25 players in its 25 years. The list was voted on by a panel of media members and women's basketball advocates from a list of 72 initial nominees. According to the WNBA, the nominees were chosen for their on-court performance and ability, leadership, sportsmanship, and community service, and contributions to team success. The W25 list includes 10 current players and 15 retired or currently inactive players. 
The current players in alphabetical order are Sue Bird, Tina Charles, Elena Deladon, Sylvia Fowles, Brittany Griner, Angel McCautry, Neka Ogumake, Candace Parker, Brianna Stewart, and Diana Taurasi. The former players are Simone Augustus, Swin Cash, Tamika Ketchings, Cynthia Cooper, Yolanda Griffith, Becky Hammond, Lauren Jackson, Lisa Leslie, Maya Moore, Tisha Penichero, Cappy Pondexter, Katie Smith, Cheryl Swoops, Tina Thompson, and Lindsay Whalen. These names are obviously a who's who of women's basketball over the past 25 years. Of course, there's room for debate, and of course, there has been a fair amount of debate. I I think this kind of list is really fun and good for the sport. I love that there's arguments to be made for for many players and, and passionate opinions from fans. I will say, too, that the eligibility criteria were kind of strange for this and, and open to interpretation. So, for instance, Don Staley wasn't eligible, which feels like a kind of like a test of whether your criteria are correct to begin with. So that's the backdrop for some of this conversation. Now, I wanted to do a little bit of quantification on this list just to give it a kind of a heat check. Now, the Criteria included more than just on-court performance, so there's wiggle room for some of these candidacies. But I compared the W25 list to the list of career win shares in the WNBA found on basketballreference.com, keeping in mind that win shares isn't a perfect metric either since it depends on the success of each individual team. But still, the top 12 players by career win shares are all represented on the list. The player ranked lowest on the list by Winchairs is Tisha Pinachero, who played on some stacked Monarch teams and is considered as one of the best, if not the best, point guards in league history. So who are the players with the most Winchairs who didn't make the list? The top five are Taj McWilliams-Franklin, ranked 13th in career Winchairs, Penny Taylor at 16th, Katie Douglas at 17th, Rebecca Brunson at 18th, and Dewana Bonner, who's the only active player among these five and will certainly continue to rise from her current rank of 19th in career win shares. For my money, I would have liked to see Rebecca Brunson on the W25 list. She had set the total rebounding record before Sylvia Fowles passed her last year. She won five WNBA titles, four with the Lynx and one with the Monarchs, and she was an all-star five times. Obviously, then, someone would have had to be left off, and, and that's I understand that that's tricky. I feel like a young current player like Brianna Stewart has plenty of time to win more accolades. And though she's been fantastic for the sport, I just don't think her impact has been quite as profound yet. And at 27, she's she's the youngest player on this list. There will be yet another chance for debate. The league wants fans to pick the greatest WNBA player of all time through its vote for the GOAT drive. You can vote for one player among these 25 through September 19th on WNBA.com or the WNBA app and on Twitter using the WNBA GOAT vote hashtag. So I wanted to ask you guys, among these incredible WNBA players, who's your GOAT? How would you narrow it down to just one? Well, mine, uh, I've been on record. We wrote the story last year about Cynthia Cooper of the the great Houston Comets dynasty in the very first years of the WNBA and and still the greatest team probably of all time uh, in in the WNBA. So she would be my vote. Although it is interesting to think about, like, looking at that list, it's clearly trying to... um, It's trying to balance against three different things, which were players that were really great 
early in the WNBA that were sort of just didn't have enough time to play a ton of seasons like Cynthia Cooper because she was already, you know, she was a stellar college player in the 80s and then played overseas in the 90s up until the start of the WNBA because there wasn't a professional women's league here in the U.S. Uh, and so, you know, you have to manage that sector of players. Cheryl swoops a little bit in that category, some of the other ones. Then you have players that played during sort of the the expanding age of the WNBA where their whole career was able to play out in the league. And then the third group is players like Brianna Stewart uh, and, and some of the more recent ones, Elena Deladon, that played, you know, they're still active and, the, and they still have a lot of their career left ahead of them. So it is a balancing act between like, do you value peak performance, which would sort of give more credit to those players at the ends of both of those groups, the early players and then the current younger players? Or do you uh, credit total value, which I think your list, Sarah, with the wind shares does uh, more so because it's just looking at total production. Uh, and so I think they did a pretty good job of balancing those things. Maybe you could argue that current players are, you know, represented a little highly, uh, which would suggest maybe peak value is or, or peak future potential value even in some cases uh, is being sort of baked into it. But also to your point about the the age of the uh, of the WNBA, if you, uh, with that comparison to the 1971 NBA season, think about what great players have had not yet played in the NBA by that point. You know, you were just getting the very beginnings of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Michael Jordan was born at that time, but was still a child. You know, LeBron James and, and Kobe Bryant, they weren't even born. So think about that also, about the, the what the future will hold if the same sort of trajectory plays out. So we could be looking, like if the NBA had done an NBA 25 list in 1971, it would have turned over uh, you know, a large portion of that list by the time it came to do it again at the 50th anniversary or, you know, the 75th anniversary and so on and so forth. So I think that that's also an, an interesting factor that this is a changing list. It's going to it's going to change with time. I think that's a great point. And and I think that that is part of what I see this list at. Like there was it was a labor of love to get this league off the ground and to get people interested and to care about it and to sustain it in a way that, you know, I'm sure that I'm sure that the beginnings of the NBA were also like difficult, but there was also this current of, you know, people opposed to celebrating women in sports that was hard for the WNBA to break through. So that's why I feel like some of the earliest players, even though who, you know, who maybe didn't get to play as long in the WNBA because, you know, they're, they were too old there because it took too long for the league to exist. That's why I feel like those, it's really important to keep them on this list. Why I wish Dawn Staley were, were, were eligible. She should be on this list, right? But don't you think, here's my question, and, and Sarah, you're obviously more equipped to answer this than, than I am as a bigger fan, but just on the sheer eye test, and we do this all the time in other sports, but doesn't it seem like you know someone like Brittany Griner or Della Don would, would have just dominated if they were... Like, at next level dominated if they were playing at the time, you know, Lisa Leslie was and, and Cynthia Cooper was in, in the sort of late 90s at the dawn of the league. Or or not. I'm, I'm curious. But to me, the level of play has gotten a lot better dramatically in in this short time span that the league's been around. But, but that could be recency bias. I, I'm not sure. You know, some of this is like remembering Team USA, the Team USA women then, and a lot of those, like, 
those players who were winning golds for for the U.S. didn't get a lot of time in the in the WNBA, but they were extraordinarily good. I mean, Lisa Leslie was the first player to dunk in the WNBA. It wasn't Brittany Griner. Um, so I don't know. I think it'd be fun. I mean, it's the same kind of debate we have all the time, right? Like with, you know, players in the in the NBA in different eras. And the style of play has been different. I think, Brittany, yes. Brittany Griner's four inches taller than Lisa Leslie. Just pointing down. I mean, it just <laughs> seems like. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun to look at the, the average height through the years, too. Um, no, I mean, I think that's that's a fair point. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I was I was gonna flip it on you and ask who among who isn't on this list who could be you know in their inner twenties or or whatever um, who will almost certainly be on this list, but just has not built the resume enough by sheer volume yet. Asia Wilson for me, 100. percent I think she's gonna be a star for years and years. I think she'll be a, a foundational player for the WNBA. I mean, I think she'll be in the the WNBA 50, right? Um, I think she's gonna be. She'll be a Hall of Famer, I think, um, just given the way her career has gone so far and the kind of dominance we've seen from her. I think I think that's a she's a good person for that. I think also, you know, if you if you are just going on who has had the best career within the WNBA in its 25 years, not looking at sort of who didn't get enough time at the beginning or who hasn't gotten enough time at the end. There's a pretty solid case to be made for Tamika Ketchings, who like somehow still doesn't get enough love I think even though she's I mean you know she's she's like by far the leader in wind chairs will never be caught her um I mean she was just so dominant for so long and so much fun to watch her defense was so fun to watch I mean, she's she to me is also like the embodiment of a great WNBA player and, and I um I would be very comfortable voting for her for GOAT, too. Maybe I should, maybe I should split my vote. Vote for uh, vote for her and, and Coop uh, and just vote over and over and over again. You're probably allowed to vote more than once. You definitely um, are. Just yeah. a guess. Yeah. Vote early, vote often. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes, so don't forget to go vote. Go. You can, you, just, you can take to Twitter. Very easy. In fact, retweets count as votes, I saw. So you can just retweet me tweeting Tamika Ketchings, Cynthia Cooper, just over and over. All right. Well, that will do it for this rabbit hole. And that will do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Mellon. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.